Victoria Gowdy. Dr. Hi. Victoria Gowdy. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Very excited to have you. Excited to be here with you too. Yeah, and, uh, we're going. We're going no shoes today. Oh yeah, yeah. Let we're those getting bad boys. Breathe. Yeah, let those puppies bark. Well, some of us. <laughs> Brent has this thing <laughs> where, well, I wear my shoes all the time without socks and sweat and until so, until now I get pretty far without them smelling. How, what's the what's the amount of time it takes until you got to put socks on? Six months, maybe. Oh, that's and are there impressive. some shoes? Yeah, they that take, are, it takes a while. Are there some shoes that are better than others? Um, no, no. Eventually they just like, they just. What brand of shoes are those? Is that the brand you usually go for? I'm just curious. No, they're all, they're all different all the time. I prefer no shoes. Well, yeah, when I go to work, I usually just take my shoes off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, Brent works at feetfinder.com. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> So, Dr. Victoria Gowdy, we'll call you Victoria for short. Sounds great. <laughs> um, we're really excited to have you here because you have so much knowledge around the inner workings of the human body and health that so many people overlook, and especially mm-hmm. Western medicine overlooks. Oh, yeah. So, I'm excited. Like, I've learned so much from you just from being your friend and all the things you've told me to avoid and things you've told me <laughs> to do. I feel like I'm healthier than 90% of the people out there, but there's still so much room to grow. And you have all this knowledge and I want to, we're excited to pick your brain yeah, and learn and learn about it. What do you guys want to know about? Well, tell us, tell us about your, your schooling. Cause I think Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to learn about naturopathic schools and, you know, especially you going to Bastyr, telling us a little bit about that history behind it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, well, I'll give you a touch more history of that. That's okay. A touch. I uh, went into naturopathic medical school. I grew up in a household where my dad's actually a conventional medical doctor. And so I saw the fallacies of that system firsthand and how it didn't work and how it didn't work not only for myself and the issues that I was experiencing as a kid around digestive issues and constipation and skin issues and mood issues. And uh, there was no help there. And then seeing people in my community just be put on drugs and not helping. Mm-hmm. Um, smoothie man and we have a quick, quick, delivery. Smoothie, quick delivery here <laughs> keep that our blood familiar. Familiar. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. this guy on the podcast before <laughs> which one's which he wore the same shirt That's again yours, today for sure this one's These are my ours. juice and those are your twos wow Thank you, Smoothie Man. Thank you, Smoothie Man. Yeah. A a round of applause for the two fun guys, Smoothie Man, Mr. Joel Saffel. Thank you. Thank you. All right. This is ASMR for the listeners. The crinkle crackle. Wonderful. Okay, please continue. And this is a commercial for just <laughs> Yeah, don't don't show them this. They need to sponsor us Juice if they up. want to be smoothies and more. Yeah. <laughs> don't buy from them until they pay us money. Um I uh, still knew I wanted to go into medicine, even though I could see the fallacies of that system. What would you say the fallacies are specifically? Um, it doesn't help people heal. It just suppresses the body which I'm really big into what is the energy underneath that. And if you're suppressing the body, you're telling the body and the person it's wrong. Do you have like a specific like health thing that was going on with you or someone you loved to give it a little more detail to that? Yeah. Um, I guess I've never really spoke much to what I uh, experienced as a kid, but I dealt with a lot of digestive issues, a lot of gas and bloating and a lot of constipation. Like I remember being stuck on the toilet 
And I remember being really afraid to go anywhere else because I was really insecure about it. And then I remember uh, my parents ruining, in quotes, Sunny D. I probably, you know, gross anyways, because they put laxatives in it. Like I would need to be given laxatives so that I could poop. And so, right, laxative is it's force, right? The body is not pooping. You force the body to poop rather than looking into why is the body not pooping? What is the body communicating to us by not pooping? And how can we come back to ourselves, part of our journey here as a soul, through that experience of the symptoms, rather than just pushing them away or suppressing them? Because as we know in conventional medicine, I'm sure you guys are familiar, if someone has the symptoms and it's just suppressed or pushed down, Either they have to keep taking more of that medication because the suppression is not working or symptoms come out in another area. Allopathic medicine literally means that you move the symptoms somewhere else. Allopathic? Is that what Western medicine is based on? Allopathic is Western medicine. What does allopathic mean? It, It basically is saying that you're treating, you're suppressing what the body's doing. And then what we see is that it always comes out in another area. Hmm. And the way I frame it, is that our symptoms are our soul trying to communicate with us. That all symptoms and suffering is your soul communicating a misalignment at the subconscious level, aka you have, you're, you've adopted a belief at the subconscious level that is out of alignment with who we truly are, which is a soul, love, abundance, or a belief about how the world operates that's not true. And we develop symptoms then Because our soul is trying to tell us that we're out of alignment and our symptoms are there to guide us back into alignment, to guide us back home to ourselves. And so it's quite uh, interesting, one paradigm, if you just suppress that, because not only are you saying the body is wrong and suppressing the wisdom of the body, but you're also denying the soul the evolution it came here to do. Because you're not even looking at the level. You're looking at the body and just saying you're wrong and suppressing it. Hmm. And you're missing all of the beautiful lessons that come out of that. Mic drop. So I feel like that, like when you go to best, you went to best year, which is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken, one Thanks. of Bring me back around. Yeah. yeah. Best year. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> which is one of the most uh, prominent naturopathic schools in the world, if not the it's, first prominent. It is supposed to be the, supposed to be the best naturopathic medical school. In the country, uh, which is why I chose that school. Wow, cool. And I had never been to Washington, and I visited it, and the school campus looks like Hogwarts, so I was like, I'm fucking sold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty good good environment to go learn in the Hogwarts castle. In nature, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Let's define naturopathic and why, like, what makes that school so good? Yeah, well, um, I'm not exactly sure how they got their ratings. Um, That's a great question. (laughs) Someone out there could probably answer that. Um, it's based off of scoring and I'm sure I'm assuming on the standardized test and um, the material that's taught. It was really touted as one of the best schools, supposedly more scientific, which uh, now if I were to look at that, I wouldn't put any weight into that because. Why is that? You. Science is a very narrow view of reality. And you can make studies look how you want them to look. Right. 
And there's so much we miss when we look at health from a like a research or scientific perspective in terms of like you take a plant and then you isolate a substance from a plant and then you give the person that substance. Well, one, not only did we miss all of the coordination and cooperation of all the other chemicals in that plant, but we're also missing the energetics of the plant. We're also missing the energy behind it. And that's arguably the most powerful part of healing. It's the mind. It's what the mind believes. Hmm. Because you can have somebody go the conventional route, say someone has cancer, for example, and someone can go the conventional route and cut, burn, kill. And if that person is set that that is going to cure them and heal them, and they are set on it and they know it, they will be cured by that. So it's the certainty in the process that leads to the healing. Oh, yeah. Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. So then why do the modalities matter if I just have to believe that this one will work? They don't. Oh. I mean, they do. How do I say that? There are modalities that are helpful, but at the end of the day, what is going to be helpful for a person depends on what their beliefs are. Hmm. So then when you work with a patient, where do you start? You start at their at the belief level? Yeah. So when I work with someone, my whole thing is I teach someone how to heal themselves. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to get into the dogma of somebody told me to do something and I have to do it. One, because you're missing the point. Like We each have a knower and healer within us. And when we can get in touch with that and activate that, that's how the body heals itself. That's what I teach people to do, is get in touch with their own healer and their own knower. And then from there, they get to, to take things like the Carol Food Intolerance or hydrotherapy or breathing exercises and throw it up against their knower and healer and see how it sticks with them, right? Some people, for example, fasting, right? It's like a really big thing. Fasting can be really helpful for some people. Mm -hmm. It can be really harmful for other people. So just to go out there and say make blanket statements around fasting, everyone should fast, fasting is good. No, 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 You have the person needs to throw it against their own internal knower and healer. That makes a lot of sense. And I feel like you see that a lot in like the nutrition world too. Oh my God, yeah. It's like everybody says, oh, you have to be vegan. That's the healthiest diet. No, 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 have. now it's paleo. And then, yeah, now paleo. And then you gotta be carnivore diet and yeah, that's yeah, the healthiest yeah, that's one. The, and it's like, if you, the internet is so vast and there's so many people doing so many things that you can find a data point to confirm whatever your belief is. Exactly. So if you Research. think veganism is the best, you can go find so many case studies where people switched to veganism and cured their diseases. And yep. those are all true. Yep. There's also a thousand case studies exactly. where people went to carnivore diet and cured their diseases. So everybody just lives in the echo chamber of what they see. And they're like, well, that's the best one. And then it creates argument. But the point you're bringing up, it seems like, is you have to find the thing that resonates with you. And when you find it, you have to believe fully that that will fix you. Yeah. Or not fix, but that will bring you into more alignment with your health. Yeah. Probably should be cautious with the word fix. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, but, the energy behind it. Yeah. It sounds like you, but you have to know, have, you have to help them develop 
the healer and the knower. The knower, yeah. Are they? We all have are, are that in us, the, but we they're the same thing. Or are they two different? Okay, yeah, yeah. I think that they're the okay, same thing. Um, so, how do you help someone begin that? Well, getting back in touch with who we truly are, because we all have that knower and healer inside of us. It's just that we've learned to ignore that knower and healer. And we've learned to tune it out for various reasons. The idea that we're all born with a certain essence, our soul's essence. And when we encounter traumatic events, meaning, I put it in quotes because trauma can be a whole array of things depending on the person. And what's traumatic to one person might not be traumatic to another person. It doesn't make it not traumatic. And that when we encounter a traumatic experience, we encounter a big emotion as a little kid. And then we see that how our brain works is our crocodile brain sees that as threatening our state of existence. And so it comes up with a conscious thought to avoid that emotion. If we haven't learned emotional regulation as a kid, and most kids haven't, they learn it from the adults and most adults don't. And so they develop a belief to avoid that big scary emotion. Let me give you an example. Okay. This little kid goes up to a parent and they're like, they're like, mommy, mommy, I'm so excited to show you something. And the mom's busy and in a hurry and she goes, hush, hush, not right now. And the kid takes it as, I'm not important. And this big wave of emotion comes over the kid and he doesn't know how to experience an emotion. His primitive brain, the crocodile brain says, I see that as threatening my state of existence. So avoid. That's what our crocodile brain does. I analogize that to our ego. It's one job, keep us alive, which just fits perfectly into our whole paradigm of how I could geek out forever, how we're perfectly designed to pick up trauma, which just goes to show that our journey is not to get out of our trauma. That's I mean, not feel free point. to geek out on that. That sounds interesting. Um, okay, I'll tangent there then. Um, up until the age of seven or nine, we're in delta and theta waves. Hmm. Our brains are, mm -hmm. which means we're in a hypnotic state. And so we don't have the deductive reasoning to say, is that true for me? We just make everything about us as a kid, and we have wild imaginations, which is really fucking cool that we're made like that because we all pick up trauma. And then it's our journey here on earth, which I'd say is all of our sort of purpose or what we're doing here is to feel so we can let those emotions go, so they can let us go through us, so we can have the full breadth of the human experience and to come home to who we truly are as a soul, to remember who we are. That's our journey. And so how we're made at the beginning of our lives sets us up to forget all that. <laughs> Which is really cool because if we remembered that, right, if we had that, like, as our knowing, our experience of feeling all of the emotions as a soul, we, we, we wouldn't be the same experience. Mm -hmm. Right? When we're a soul, not here on earth, we are all that is. There's, we experience love and everything at the same time. We don't feel the jealousy and the million different flavors of love we have here on earth and the hate and the fear. Like, we don't get that experience. And so part of our experience coming here is to feel. And when we don't feel, we st stick those emotions in our body and they get stuck in our bodies. And that distorts our energetic body and which eventually distorts our physiology and it results in physical symptoms. 
And funny enough, those physical symptoms are intimately connected to that emotion that we suppress. And that symptom in itself is trying to pull up those emotions that you shove down in an attempt to get you to feel them so that you can feel them and let them go. Right. David Hawkins wrote the book Letting Go, and he talks about, I use this analogy, right? We are already the sun. When we pick up these false beliefs, it's like clouds that we pick up. And so our journey is coming home to that sun and letting go of the clouds. We don't have to cultivate more of the sun. You already are all that is. You already are enough. Our suffering and symptoms come when we believe anything other than that. And when we're a kid, we have the brain waves that don't allow us to realize that trauma isn't saying it about us. So the kid comes up to the mom and is like super excited to show the mom the art project he made. And the mom's like, not right now, right now. And the kid goes, I'm not important. And this big, scary emotion arises and this kid's crocodile brain goes, abort, 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 avoid, avoid, avoid. And so the kid goes, okay, that scary emotion, which obviously he's not articulating as a fear or like not being important. He said, I need to avoid that. So I was like, he goes, okay, how do I avoid that? Well, I need to be good to my mom so that my mom, like, I just got to be a good kid. If I'm perfect, then, then I'll get the, the, the worth that she'll, she'll, she'll give me my worth that I need. She'll give me attention. I'm using words, obviously kids wouldn't use, but and so the conscious brain goes, okay, I got to be perfect so that I can avoid that. I just got to be perfect so I'll be loved. I got to be perfect so I'm loved. I got to be perfect so I can be loved. Somewhere between 10 and 400 times the conscious brain says that until the subconscious brain says, da, 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 now's my time to shine. And it says, send it on back. Anytime between 10 and 400 times of repetitions it takes for our something to move from our conscious brain to our subconscious brain. Once it's in our subconscious brain, it's out of our conscious awareness. And what's really cool if you hear me say between 10 and 400 times, what takes us closer to the 10 is the more emotionally charged events. So if we want to rewire our false beliefs, bring emotions into it, unless you want to repeat things 400 times. Okay, I tangent in. Okay, so the subconscious mind picks it up, picks up the belief. Okay, I just have to be perfect in order to be loved. I have to be perfect in order to be loved. Well, now the subconscious mind, I refer to it as like a beacon. And it sends out this beacon or this frequency. I just have to be perfect to be loved. And it carries a resonance. And now this kid, as he starts growing up and going through life, is going to attract situations that are resonant with this belief, I just have to be good in order to be loved. Now, the really cool part (laughs) is that not only is, well, two things. This is where a lot of us get hung up. When we manifest and attract things that are resonant with our false beliefs, a lot of us will go, see, it is that way. We will take it as confirmation. And then we get stuck in that false belief, in that victim paradigm. See, I don't have any say in this. It just happens to me. <clears throat> but we also have an opportunity, rather than seeing it as confirmation, to see it as a gift, as a mirror, as an opportunity. That something in the outside world is happening that's triggering an emotion in me 
It's a gift pulling up this emotion because if I didn't have anything that resonated with this, it wouldn't pull anything up. All right, I love the the story of uh, why did coffee spill out of my cup when you bumped into my cup? You want to answer? Because they got hit in the cup. Because there's coffee in the cup. If there was motherfucking tea in the cup, it would have been tea that came out of the cup. It's not about the bump of the cup. It's about what's in the cup. And so we attract these situations to pull up these emotions in us as an opportunity to pull them up, to love on them so they can go like the clouds, so we can come back to our sun, our true essence. The more we hold on to those clouds that distort our true essence, those false beliefs, the more suffering we attract into our life in an attempt to help us move through it. So knowing that, knowing that the symptoms that we feel uh, or that are being expressed in our bodies are beacons, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying it's like, hey, look at me. There's an emotional um, lump here that needs to be moved. It needs to be addressed. Loved on, yeah. Yeah, it needs to be loved on so that it can break apart and heal. What's the starting point? Because it's very, I guess it's difficult to love yourself for the ailments that you have. Like, where does somebody even begin on that journey? Mm, mm. Well, come join my program, first of all. That's what we do. We learn to heal mm. through love. Um, also what I have found in my own journey that, and with clients and that's helpful is we have spent however many years, most of, right, most of us have developed the limiting false beliefs somewhere up to the age of between seven and nine. So like most of us have been working away at these false beliefs for a long time. We've been running these, um, I refer to it like, you know, when you go sledding, you take a path on the snow-covered hill when you go back up you're going to take that same one right like we've been like carving out this path for decades right <clears throat> and part of that pattern is that we're running from an emotion and so we have built this whole like paradigm around emotion bad even if we haven't clearly articulated it like that what i have found for my clients to help them start loving on themselves in an area that we previously had not been loving on ourselves is to look at that lo- that emotion to sit with it and find where the inner child is in there find the little you that laid that false belief down when you were a little kid because it's a lot easier to sit with a little child and give that little child unconditional love than it is to sit with ourselves and give ourselves unconditional love, even though we are that inner child that we're tapping into. Because as humans, babies are innocent. And so it's a lot easier to look at that baby as innocence and pure, whereas a lot of us have learned through years and years, and it's not even just our lives, right? Like generational trauma is real. It gets passed down through DNA. So these things have been going on and being engraved in us longer than just how long we've been living and so remembering that when you embark on this journey of loving yourself all the parts of yourself as looking at those stuck emotions finding that inner child in there and sitting with that inner child makes it so much easier Mm -hmm. you said something really interesting about from the time until you're seven you're in theta and delta waves yeah yeah right so I've heard something similar where it, it comes in seven. So from like zero to seven, you're in theta to delta. Mm-hmm. From seven to 14, you're in 
I don't know what the next wave More is. More in beta. Probably I, beta, I yeah. And then from 7 to 21 is another wave. And then you kind of coast uh, that because now your brain's mm. allegedly fully developed. Fully developed. So mm. it's funny that it comes in sevens, but... Um, what I guess maybe you can elaborate if you know a bit more about like the different waves of the brain and then how that changes throughout your life. Mm, I don't know much about how it changes throughout your life, but I am, my brain is moving in a million directions thinking about things and then how that could affect us traumatic wise. Cause you hear, um, I remember reading when I was a kid of like when parents get a divorce common issues children have depending on how old the child was when oh, the divorce happened. Interesting, yeah, because they're in a different way. Like, yeah, huh. or like stage of development, yeah. Um, I don't know that much about the waves other than up until the age of seven or nine, which I apparently is closer to seven, um, and how that affects our trauma. Every client that I've ever sat with, it's always come back to someone, a child younger than nine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. There's the there is often older inner children that are older than nine, but it's I can't think of a case. But it always starts earlier. <laughs> I have so many questions now that I'm gonna go look into. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point though. Like when you when you picture your inner child, like you could be thirteen, mm-hmm. but most people don't picture that. Um, when we start doing inner child work, um a lot of teenagers start popping up kind of regularly, mm. but they're usually associated or they have already melt, met an inner younger child. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Now you yeah. want to send me down this like rabbit hole of brain waves. It's so interesting how we're developed and then how we picked. Yeah, we could we get a little bit of a leg up on uh, seeing the trauma we chose for ourselves, mm-hmm. the how we chose the environment we chose to distort our essence so that we could come back to our original essence, mm-hmm. uh, depending on when things happen at certain brave way, brain wavelengths, you could probably anticipate the effects later on. Actually, speaking of brain waves, this is kind of off topic, but I wanted to ask you, it's so, it's really common now. I see a lot of ads for like these devices that protect you from EMF waves and <laughs> phones and, and stuff like that, uh-huh. but I can't find any it's like actual data on them and like real we tests. We started on this. And what was the company? I don't know. If you, I, you want to share here or not? There's a company that. Called Aries Tech, I think. Was it Aries? They responded. Or like we, I need to look back into it. Or maybe it wasn't like a good amount of research that they offered. I need to look back into it. Um, I have a lot of questions with those two. And uh, it might be more of a question for a physicist. Um, some of the things I know around EMF blocking is excuse me, is um, one, making sure that you're not creating an environment for the signal to get stuck in and bounce mm-hmm. around. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot of things, like I, I would want to see scientific. I, yeah. Right. I, yeah. We could probably get my EMF reader out and, and trial some of the That'd be fun. Just order some and Just order a bunch of them. Yeah. We should do that on the podcast. We'll tell them, hey, if you truly believe in your product, send one in. We're going to do it live on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe, mm-hmm. then you get a bunch of sales mm-hmm. and then you can sponsor us. Which is interesting too, just going back to the placebo thing, right? If someone puts a sticker on their computer or phone and it does absolutely nothing physically, yeah. but in their brain and in their environment, they're going, this is protective. So I'm protected. Like mm-hmm. I'm protected. I'm protected. I'm protected. Right? What 
we believe in our our mind, our cells will follow command. Right. And so if we believe we're protected versus if we have the thought like, oh shit, I'm totally getting by all these EMFs and 5G and oh no, no, no. You're doing damage to yourself holding that fear, regardless of the things are actually doing damage. What about things that people don't know or think about? Like you've told me a lot about the fabric in our clothes and how yeah. those have a different vibration and frequency and some of them are not good for you and some of them are like the man-made uh like polyester and all that stuff is like it's doing you harm but people aren't yep. aware so there's no baby. placebo we're just not even thinking about it so well first of all tell us about yeah. the fabrics and like oh my gosh. that whole thing i've totally cleaned out my closet um, <laughs> <laughs> um and i think i can tell a difference i know i can tell a difference i don't know if it's in my head or not but i feel like i can clearly tell a difference um, there was another air thing that I would love to do more studies on because I have questions around combinations and like what about 5% spandex and with your cotton. The study that became popular was they did a study looking at frequency. I think it was looking at millihertz and they looked at the frequency of fabric and how that affects the human when we wear them. And they found that a human body that is dying carries a frequency around 15 hertz. A living human's around 70. Don't quote me on that number, though. I think it's 70. Um, somewhere between 70 and 100. And they looked at the frequency of fabrics, and they found that linen and wool, 5,000. Cotton, 70. Organic cotton, 100. Polyester, rayon, silk, 15. So you want a high frequency. You want a high frequency. So the idea is that polyester rayon, which is a which is a natural fiber made into a fabric. It's not plastic. Rayon's not. And neither is silk, but it's still at 15. So I think it has to do with the production of it and like the hmm. ethical use of silkworms and things, how it's produced. Huh. It's interesting. And obviously chemicals matter because organic cotton and cotton come in at different frequencies. Mm -hmm. Of note, don't go putting linen and wool together. Linen and wool go at opposite frequencies, and so they're both at 5,000. If you put them together, they cancel each other out. Really? Why the Bible said don't wear wool and linen together. Oh, shit. Yeah. And so don't wear your wool and linen together. If you're going to wear wool or linen and you want another fabric, whether just put cotton, cotton with it. Because if both of them are at 5,000, I don't know which way cotton goes, but if you take 5,000, 100 off of a 5,000, either way, you're good. Huh. So cotton, linen, and wool are the highest frequency fabrics. And anything synthetic or with polyester in it, you start going what is towards happening? the frequency of a dead body. Oh, okay. I was going to ask, like, what is happening when you have lower frequency fabrics? It's like, I guess, for lack of a better term, bringing you closer to death in yeah. a way. Yeah, think about being in an area of like somewhere in nature, somewhere high frequency, out in the mountains, spring water, right? Clear, like you can feel how that feels. Then you think of somewhere, an area that has a low frequency, maybe a slum area or uh, a rougher area of a town. Feel the frequency of that, right? Lower frequency of fear and shame and stuff like that. You can feel that. And now think if you lived in the mountains versus living in a lower frequency area. Mm -hmm. You don't think that's going to affect you? Yeah, definitely. Of course it's going to affect you.
But if you live in the lower frequency area and you have no concept that there's a higher frequency area, living in the lower frequency area would feel normal. So, so wear polyester enough, you get used to okay. living in polyester. I was going to say, don't tell anybody about it. And you don't feel how good you feel wearing linen. I get you. Or wool. Yeah. So try linen and wool and see how you feel, basically. Like, do that for a while until yes. it cleans you up. Go out into nature. Wear your earth runners, so they're grounding, or bare feet. Wear linen or be naked. Wear linen if you're in public. <laughs> and tell me... It's a good note. And tell me you don't feel different. Hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Cool. Because so, it has to do with conductivity. Yeah. I'll just follow up with that. Yeah. Right? The linen and wool are conductive. And so when we go out into nature, the whole point of us grounding is that we can bring up and pull up electrons. Those are healing molecules for our body. When our cells get stuck in a chronic state of disease, they literally can't mount enough millivolts to heal. Hmm. And so they get stuck in a deficient state. We need more millivolts. We need more electrons in order to heal. We can get free electrons by going outside and putting our feet in the ground on the earth. Okay. I want to go back to how you help people develop their connection to their healer. What are like some steps people can take? And then in addition, things that are just daily habits people just aren't doing as human beings to just stay healthy. I'd say the big thing is to look at the energy underneath everything you're doing. That's the biggest thing. What's an are example? You, are you getting up in the morning and rushing off, the work, off to work? What's the energy of that? What are you rushing off for? What is the fear underneath that? You're not living in love and abundance if you're waking up rushing and full of fear. You go to the gym. That's a healthy habit, right? What's the energy underneath it? Are you going to the gym because you fucking hate yourself and you're trying to look away that you actually like yourself? That's going to result in suffering. There's a false belief there. Or are you going to the gym because you love yourself and it feels good to work out? Same action, going to the gym, very different energy underneath. The energy underneath will always dictate the outcome. And so when you're caring for yourself, are you just forcing yourself? looking at the energy underneath and coming back then to the energy of love. Love for yourself and realizing that anything other than love is a hallucination, which is why, my two fun guys, hallucinogens show us that everything is love. Because other than that, I mean, the way I teach people is we start at their symptoms and we trace back to what is a stuck emotion and what is a limiting false belief. And I thought this, this is a whole course, right? The, the, the easy way to access into that process is looking at, am I loving myself? And what does that look like? And don't expect that you're going to get all the answers today or next week. It's a process and a journey. And most of us have learned uh, how not to love ourselves, and that's become normal out of fear or scarcity or for whatever reason we've learned to deny ourselves. And so it's a process to come back to loving ourselves when we've learned 
right? We've followed this path down the snow-covered hill so many times, giving ourselves grace to, to find another spot to lay that sled down in a truthful place and make a new carving, a new neural pathway. Love. Look at the energy underneath what you're doing. Is it out of love for yourself or are you running out of fear and scarcity? Because most people have been running for a very long time. Which is why most people have fatigue. Because it's trying to get us to slow down. Come back home. What does that feel like when you truly come back home? Mm, What everyone is chasing out there. The thing that you think that you so desperately want from other people or from the outside and how you think that's going to solve all your problems, that like hope, that idea that you're going to get there. When we stop running and come back home, that's the only time we actually find that, that we're searching for. Bliss, ecstasy. Peace on earth. Yeah. Heaven. So what did what did I guess the routines that you have in your day if anything maybe like a morning routine that puts you in that state of mind mm-hmm. or allows you to relax into that state of mind put is a pretty forceful word but how do you force yourself into that yeah force myself into relaxing <laughs> I'm going to relax so hard force myself into loving myself <laughs> um um I'd say the biggest thing is this might sound cliche but self care and I don't and again, right, it's not about like do these things. It's not about what we're doing on the physical realm. It's what is underneath in the mental plane. Because you can try to force the physical realm into something else, but it will always come back to mirroring the mental plane. So why do we waste our energy trying to force ourselves in the physical plane? Let's just come to the mental plane and work there, aka love on ourselves there. That's where we see the most results. Um, so self-care, giving yourself, and when you're doing self-care, the point of why I just tangent is not just to go through the motions. You're like, you're like, I'm just doing the things. No, 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 no. Like, what are you doing this for? You're doing it to fall deeper in love with yourself, to understand yourself more fully, to have more compassion for yourself. That's why you do the self-care is to get to know yourself and love yourself so that you can love and be in love with yourself. You can be in devotional love. I'm taking that word from Shaman Durek, his book, Spirit Hacking, devotional love to yourself. In devotion to yourself. Or you're trying to figure out or learn more about yourself. You're trying to fall deeper in love with yourself. You're trying to see your unique skills and gifts you're here to share with the world even more fully. Like you're so obsessed and into yourself. That's how you heal. Where's the line between that and being like self-absorbed? What's the energy underneath it? Mm. I feel like that's the, it always comes back to that answer. It's always <laughs> bring Joel in because he'll, he'll, I'm sure he could pop his head in. And just, yeah, I could go for another it's smoothie. It's all about the energy because that's what I say all the time. It's all about the energy. Hmm. It's all about the energy. We can, like I just said, we can force ourselves in the physical world. But like if you force yourself 
to try to look a certain way to love yourself, right? Brent, as a uh, personal trainer, I'm sure you see this, right? Does that actually fix people's self-hate? No. They learn to love themselves. If they come to loving themselves, it's not a journey because they love themselves for how they look, right? Truly loving yourself, coming to love yourself is not about how you, how you look. It comes into who you truly are. Yeah, I feel like people who lose weight or get in shape and then they love themselves more at the end of that, it's not because they look different. It's because of the journey that they took and the devotion they made to themselves. Devotion they made and to they, themselves. they committed to themselves and made that journey and that's what made them love themselves, not the fact that they look any different. Exactly. That's just icing on the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. So what are some habits that are you've seen across you know everybody that's good self-care that people should be doing meditating is huge meditating because and and how do you like to have people meditate or recommend um i recommend to do however you want to start doing it just start exploring i am a big fan of tcm transcendental meditation um in which you pay and they give you a mantra um you can also just get a mantra and you go that way. The whole point of TCM is you use a mantra. And so you focus on the mantra and give your active brain something to focus on so that it can let go and relax. I'm a huge fan of that, probably because that's what I have the most experience in. And I've had a really great experience. That's the first type of meditation I ever tried. Um, but not to say there's not great things about guided meditations in it and things. Um I think the goal of meditation is to one, go into the stillness, into nothingness. Allow yourself to be nothingness. And the point of meditation is to get used to your thoughts coming up and you don't giving them any credit. (laughs) Where we get stuck in feeling our emotions is when our brain starts having its two cents and then we start buying into it. Feeling our emotions, it's something like if we just feel our emotions, it takes all of like 90 seconds. But we shove them down in us because we have judgment to it or whatever thoughts to it, or we think it means something about us or we're not good for having it. So meditating is really, really important to get to understand yourself, get to know yourself better, and to to not put so much credit into that thinking mind, which inevitably helps you drop into your heart. That, I'd say, is really important. Getting out in nature, connecting to alignment so that we can come into alignment Um, and getting those electrons, getting fresh air, getting electrons, getting like your body on the earth as much as you can, getting out in nature, like getting your hands in the dirt, like looking at the plants, connecting. Um, Movement is really, really, I'd say, key in in this journey. Um, But the really fun thing with movement is to find the movement that you enjoy, a lot of people, like clients come to me and they're like, I don't want to work out or I don't want to do this. I have so much resistance to working out. And we dive into it. And what is it? And it's because they think they have to do this like regimented thing. And like what I tell people with movement, like tap into your body and just see how your body wants to move. You might lay in Shavasana for a whole 20 minutes one day. One day you might just be jumping around, dancing, wiggling. Like just feel how your body wants to move because we're so used to telling it how it's supposed to. 
but we haven't connected to the wisdom, wisdom and the enjoyment. I think about animals when they wake up, right? And they like stretch out. That's what I encourage my clients to do. Hmm. Um, and then the food we're eating obviously has a huge, huge impact. I don't know when we started recording this, but we were talking about the Carol Food Intolerance at the beginning of it. It all comes full circle. <laughs> well, with the last little bit of time, I think that's a great thing to end on is talk a little bit about Carol Food Intolerance and awesome. how people can find you. Awesome. Um, the Carol Food Intolerance, because food is so important, um, and also how we care for ourselves and how we're loving for ourselves. I recommend and do what's called the Carol Food Intolerance Evaluation, and it looks at foods and combinations of food that a person cannot digest properly. How much time do I have on the clock? A couple of minutes. Okay. Go ahead. So when a person cannot digest a food properly, that food ferments or putrefies depending on the substance of the food through the digestive tract. The food rots through their digestive tract. Mm -hmm. That rotting food then causes inflammation as it moves through the digestive tract, causes inflammation in the gut lining. And so the gut lining that's used to look like this, I'm putting my hands together with nice tight junctions, loosens and we develop what is now called leaky gut. And then that inflammation doesn't just stay local to the digestive system. It goes out through the rest of the body. And wherever someone is susceptible, they will produce symptoms. This is different than things like the IgG food sensitivity panel, which is really common, or things like Viome, or things that look just look at the microbiome, because those are after effects of the root cause. Carol food intolerance is looking at a food we cannot digest properly. IgG food sensitivity is looking at foods the person's body has made antibodies against. If you recall what I just said about leaky gut, that's how foods end up into our bloodstreams prematurely. So the cell junctions that are supposed to be tight become big and food sneaks through. The body sees that as foreign material, does what it's supposed to do, makes antibodies to it. Next time the person that eats that food, that leaky gut hasn't healed, that food particle goes into the blood, the blood sees it, says, oh, I know what to do, and it attacks. We've made antibodies to it. I've had people come into me eating chicken and rice because they go in, they have their IgG food sensitivity done. I don't run them, but the other practitioners. And then they say, take out the foods that your body has made a lot of antibodies to, the red, the red column. Take those out. So they eat different foods. Well, they haven't solved the issue. So now their body is producing antibodies to different foods. And so they take those foods out. And you can guess how that it's ends a, up going. It's a circus Hamster wheel. Hamster on a wheel game, as I call it. Um, whereas when we go and we take out the foods that the person cannot digest properly, then we're getting rid of what's actually causing the inflammation in the gut and the gut can actually heal. If you remember what we said earlier as when do pathogenic bugs show up? right? Pathogenic bugs get a bad rep because they produce symptoms, but pathogenic bugs are our really good friends that we're just horribly not nice to. <laughs> the pathogenic bugs show up when there's a mess to clean up. So if we're eating foods that we're not digesting properly and it's increasing our level of toxicity, there's a mess for those bugs to come clean up. So those pathogenic bugs come to clean up and then they produce symptoms. Rather than us killing those pathogenic bugs, if we just help clean up the mess, the pathogenic bugs go away on their own. So all the recurrent UTIs, recurrent yeast infections, recurrent urine, well, then there's no more microflora that's out of balance for those things to keep coming up. They don't come up anymore. And also why I love doing Carol Food Intolerance Evaluation is because it works on a deeper level of energy. And often... I used to before when I was new in practice, I learned that oftentimes the food someone craves, if it's out of these top foods for the Carol food intolerance, it's usually the one that comes up as their primary. So I was like, well, that's a fun scientific experiment. 
every client that'd come in, I'd, I'd be like, are you, do you crave any of these foods? And if they'd be like, yeah, I'd be like, I write it down on their chart to be curious to see if that'd come up. Well, then I would really, I stopped doing it because I'd hate coming in and giving them a valuation because I'd be like, yeah, I remember that food that you said you would love and you're addicted to? That's your intolerance. <laughs> and so I stopped saying it to people. But it just shows me that there's a deeper acting energy with it. It comes from a subtle evaluation that's taken actually from a part of radionics. We're just allowed to keep it. OG Carroll is what started it. The FDA allows us to keep it because we're not diagnosing or treating anything. The FDA wants to hold all rights to that. We're just evaluating. And the reason why I, this is so effective in my practice and why it's so effective for everyone that I've seen use it is because we start getting into that subconscious mind through our relationship with food. AKA, are we holding on to limiting false beliefs? AKA, are we self-soothing or using food to avoid emotions? And that gives us a direct avenue right into that subconscious mind, which is also why it is so effective. It's not just working on the physical level of helping clear the level of toxicity, but we have a deeper acting level into that subconscious mind, which is why, in my opinion, it's so, so, so helpful and helps people start looking at those limiting false beliefs. Wow. Dare I say you gave us food for thought. <laughs> uh, How long were you thinking of that? Actually, just like two seconds before you stopped talking. And I was like, this is going to be this is gonna be a good one. This is going to hit. I can't wait. That one, no, that actually was really, really fascinating. And I can-, can I Most can, recentest, most bangerous. Most recent, most bangerous <laughs> podcast episode. Um, I have done the Carol Food Intolerance Test and I saw- Evaluation. A, a, yeah. Evaluation. Okay. Yeah, can't get the FDA or, or diagnosis. Um, and I saw a big difference. So for people who are interested in it, I would recommend it. And where can people find you and learn more about- Yeah. So I am on Instagram. Please come say hi. I'm at Dr. Tori, D-R-T-O-R-R-I-E. Um, it'll come up there as Dr. Victoria Gowdy. Um, my website is visfoundations.com, V-I-S-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S.com, visfoundations.com. Um, and you can book a discovery call on there if you have any questions or are interested in joining the group program and learning how to awaken that knower and healer for yourself and or how to get your Carol Food Intolerance evaluated. Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Victoria Gowdy. Yeah, thank, thank you. you guys. This was a pleasure. No, it was an absolute pleasure. 